Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Pastor Dan. I'm the worship pastor here. I get the great joy and privilege of sharing God's Word with you this morning. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. No shame if you need to use the table of contents, y'all. No shame. Zephaniah, after Daniel, after Habakkuk, it is a minor prophet in the Old Testament. A minor prophet with a major message, right? So one of my favorite books of all time is a Christian book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Okay? And I've got some fans. Great. So when I say I'm a fan, I've read it. I've listened to the audiobook. I've got the dramatized audio in the car, y'all. It's CDs in the back of the car. We've, we've watched the movie. I love the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And so one of the most poignant conversations happened between two characters. It, it's a, a conversation between Susan and Mr. Beaver. They're talking about the Christ figure. They're talking about Aslan, the lion. And so Mr. Beaver says this, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Today we worship a God who is, who is both wrathful and gracious. Justice, just and loving. Holy and transcendent and near and intimate. Of course he isn't safe. But our God is good and he is worthy of praise. Let's pray. We'll dive into God's word this morning. Father, we thank you that you are imminent. God, that you are holy, 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 but you are imminent and you're with us. And God, we pray that you would give us grace. God, may we come to your word with humble and open hearts. And God, let us not just be hearers of the word, but let us be transformed by your truth. God, conform us more into the image of your Son. Guide us. And God, help us to know that you are holy and completely powerful, but you are also holy and completely loving. God, help us to delight in that this morning. Give us grace and conform us more to the image of our Son. Guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Zephaniah chapter 3. Starting in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, 
a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So in verses 14 and 15, we first see the praiseworthy king. The praiseworthy king. In verse 14, we see the command to praise. Right? God's people are commanded to do four things in light of who God is. We first see that we're commanded to sing. Oh, here we go. The music guy talking about singing. Absolutely, y'all. Let's get into it. Let's dive in. God's people are marked with singing. It starts as early as Genesis 2, when Eve is is given to Adam. He rejoices in a poem-like song, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? When the Israelites are freed from slavery, what do they do? They sing. When the Ark of the Covenant is brought back to Israel, what does David do? He rejoices, he dances, he sings. At the Last Supper, what does Jesus do with his disciples? They sing. God's people are marked by singing. And do you ever wonder why? Why on earth do we sing? Because we're not all musicians, right? Some of us can carry a more happy, joyful, in tune song, right? So why is there this big command to sing? In singing, we use every aspect of who we are in praise to the Lord. Think about it for a second. When we sing, we have to think about the words we're saying, right? We have to think about how we're going to accomplish this task. And then our body's engaged. Our lungs fill with air. We sing pitched words through our vocal cords, right? So our body is engaged in praising the Lord. Our emotions are stirred. Music is intrinsically beautiful, right? It it brings with it joy and and sorrow and, and, and gives us time to think and meditate, And when we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us and we have this new nature. And so when we hear truth and song, our affections are stirred. God has given us the gift of singing. He's given his people the gift of singing. So that every aspect of who we are can be used to praise him. So not only are we called to sing, we're called to shout. Singing and shouting go hand in hand in the family of praise. Even the most reserved, quiet, cerebral, introverted person, when they're passionate about something, they shout. It may be on the inside, but they shout. They're passionate. They're excited. So singing and shouting are hand in hand, go hand in hand in the family of praise. They're also called to rejoice. And so... The word picture that's uh, meant to be conveyed through um, the New Testament commentary, uh, the interpretation of this is that a herald is coming in fresh off of the battlefield and is going to the town square and says, guys, gather around, gather around. I have important news from the battle. It was tough. It was hard. It was difficult. But there is hope. There is good news. And in that we can have joy. And finally... The people of God are called to exult with all their heart. 
They're called to exult with all their heart. With all their heart can mean a lot of different things in the Hebrew language. It could mean uh, with all your mind, with all of your body. But what it means here is with all of your emotions. So right off the bat, the people of God are called to say, hey, we are to be passionate. We are to be all in in praising the Lord. We're not supposed to give the polite golf clap, right? We're not supposed to give kind of the sleepy, half-hearted, oh, praise. We're called to be all in and to glorify and rejoice in the Lord. So in verse 14, we see the command to praise. And in the first half of verse 15, we see the reason for praise. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. And so context is helpful here. So Zephaniah is a prophet that's speaking a prophecy to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. And during this time, King Josiah is trying to right the ship. He's trying to bring the people back to honor the Lord. But the people are too far gone. They want to just revel in their wickedness. They want to revel in their sin. They want to worship idols. And so Zephaniah is saying, the Lord is holy, the Lord is right, and he is rightly judging you for your sin. And so in Zephaniah 1 and 2, he talks in visceral detail about how God is going to allow a foreign power to invade this nation and how God is going to judge sin. But in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of this season of trial, the Lord in his sovereignty relents and the dust settles. And the wrath is pulled back from the remnant, the, the, the purified, the refined. And so what does this teach us about God? Very briefly, it teaches us three things. That Number one, God is holy. God is the standard of perfection. God is completely pure. He is not tempted by sin, nor does he tempt anyone with sin. He is worthy. He's completely other, right? And because of his holiness, God is a God of wrath. He intensely hates sin. He hates sin. He can't stand sin. Sin is wickedness. Sin is a complete rebellion against the character and nature of God. It is spitting in the face of the holy, righteous God. And God is completely just in extending his full wrath against sin. So God is holy. God hates sin. And God never changes. The big $5 word is immutable. God is sovereign, and his sovereign will will be accomplished. And he never changes. And so we see that in the book of Zephaniah. So in, in response to these two verses, what are we supposed to do? What's the application here? What is causing us? How can we praise the Lord? What's holding us back from praising the Lord? You know, I think we live in this culture of just ingratitude. Like we're perpetually marketed. If you have this, you'll be okay. You'll be happy, right? If you get the promotion, man, you'll be set. If you get that Disney World trip, I don't understand Disney, but some people, if you get the Disney World trip, you're going to be happy, 
Apparently, it's the most magical place on earth. I don't get the hype. But if you get the cruise, you're going to be happy, right? If you get the promotion, you'll be happy. If if you get uh, your kid levels up from JV to varsity, man, you'll be happy. And it's good to have goals. It's good to have aspirations. It's good to better ourselves. But here's the struggle. Good things turn into God things. And if we're not careful, those are going to be idols in our life. And so we have this perpetual desire to want more and more and more. And discontentment and bitterness builds up in our hearts. But instead, we should be like the the people of Judah. Who say, I am just as wicked. I am just as evil. I am just as much of a rebel as those people. And God, I deserve the full wrath of you. Yet in your mercy, you have forgiven me through your son. You have given me your love. You have lavished me with your grace. So may Christians be marked with an attitude of gratitude. Say, Lord, thank you that I'm, that I'm awake. Thank you that I get to live here. Thank you that I have this family. Thank you that I get to go to work. Thank you that I'm in this covenant of faith. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. May we be a people that passionately praise the Lord. So in verses 14 and 15, we see the praiseworthy king. And in verses 15, the second half of it, into 16, we see the present king. The present king. Let's read the second half of verse 15 together. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. So what is the glaring command out of this text? Do not fear. Do not fear. Well, let's kind of put this into perspective a little bit. So Zephaniah, once again, is talking to the southern kingdom. He's talking to Judah. And he knows that judgment is coming, that God's going to allow this nation to overtake them. But he doesn't know the specifics. The nation that's coming is Babylon. So here's what's going to go down. The walls around the nation, around the city, are going to be absolutely obliterated. So all of their security is going to be gone. They're going to lose their home. They're going to lose their place of worship. The temple is going to be destroyed. They're going to be, their families are going to be torn apart and separated. The Babylonians took the best of the best and brought, it, brought them back to Babylon. And they, they murdered and they killed. And so there's going to be so much anxiousness. There's so much fear. There's so much heartbreak. And so imagine with us, let's kind of use our imaginations here. And if we left this place and we went back to our house and it was just completely leveled. We get a call. Our boss tells us, hey, you just lost your job. We get another call. Hey, your cousin just got abducted. But in the midst of all of that, do not fear. Really. I mean, can we, can we just like honestly, just, just be, let's just be honest, let's just be real. That is difficult. How on earth are they not supposed to fear? 
these people know something very bad is going to happen. And when they live it, it's going to be even worse. But they're told not to fear. How on earth, how could Zephaniah say that? If we're honest, if we're, if we're being real, how can Zephaniah dare to even say that? Let's read again verse 15. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Let's just let that sink in. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Here's a brief history lesson on Israel, okay? So that, this kind of helps frame what this, what this phrase is really saying. So the king of Israel, Israel was once one unified nation, right? It was ruled directly by the Lord. It was called a theocracy. And so the Lord directly ruled this nation, and there was an intermediary. His name was Samuel. He was a priest, but the people were whiny, the people were complaining, and they're like, man, if we just had an earthly king, we'd be so much better off. We'd have all the things. We would just be just as successful, just as powerful. We'd have more land. And so they begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded, and they wanted an earthly king. And so God gave them Saul. Saul starts off pretty solid, right? But then he falls off the trail, falls off the track. And then we have David, man after God's own heart, great king, kind of takes a detour into some really bad stuff, finishes pretty strong, right? And then we have Solomon, wise, godly man, builds the temple. But then at the end, he falls sway to idolatry. Then after Solomon, the kingdom's broken up. We have the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah. And then there's this ebb and flow, ebb and flow, ebb and flow. We have kings that are wicked and evil and leading the people away from the God. And then there's kings that say, no, we need to worship the one true God. So we have this ebb and flow of striving to honor the Lord in wickedness. But in the midst of that Uncertainty and in the midst of that tumultuous relationship, the Lord finally says, the true king will return. And we look forward to that and we anticipate that day, right? That at the end of, of all of this, the, the, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will have an unhindered, unbroken fellowship with the Lord. And, and the great thing is that our great reward at the end of all of this is not that we'll see our long-lost cousin or our long-lost relatives. Our reward is Christ. Our reward is a fellowship with him, and we can see him with unveiled faces, and we can re- delight and rejoice in who God is. And that is the great hope that the true king will return for his people. So, the king of Israel, the Lord. Many of you know this, but the Lord refers to I am, refers to Yahweh. A name so holy and so revered that ancient scribes would take letters out to show homage and respect when they wrote it, wrote the name. It is the name that refers to God who existed before time. Does that hurt our brain a little bit? God existed before time, and when time ends, he will still be there. He's the beginning and the end. He controls the universe. Every breath that you're taking right now is given to you by God. 
And, and he is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is not his creation, but he is here with his creation. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. That God will dwell with his people. So when we frame our fear in the presence of the Lord, what can man do to us? That's the encouragement for us this morning. When we frame our fears in the presence of the Lord, what can man do to us? We are living in a culture that's just anxiety-inducing. If we're honest, it's just pretty tough. I mean, you look at, at the world 10 years ago, and it's just completely shifted. And so maybe, maybe you're like me, and you're just like, I'm just tired of thinking about this. I just want to like turn my brain off and look at Facebook for a while, right? So we pull out our phone, and so we're scrolling Facebook, and we're like, oh, that's a cool recipe. I'm not going to make that. Save him for labor. Oh, that's a, that's a project that my wife would like. Delete. <laughs> I'm not making that. I don't know where pallets are. Uh, but then we just scroll, and we scroll, and we scroll. But eventually, we just start to kind of feel yucky. Because then all the junk... All of the conspiracy, all the different stuff is just weighing down on us. And so we throw our phone and we're like, ah, well, all right, I'm just going to turn on the TV. Let's just watch something. That's even worse. It's like all these sinful people are making TV shows now. So you turn that off. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to read the paper. Read the, nothing's wrong with the paper, right? So we're just going to read the paper. Oh, cool. Festivals are back. Next page. COVID spike. Ah, right? And we have all of this different thing, all these different things just weighing down on us. We have all this different junk. And, and our, so our, our society is so pushing in on all sides. But when we frame our fears, when we frame our anxiety in light of the presence of an almighty God, what can man do to us? So Christian, even though the world is broken, even though the world wants us to be anxious, even though the world wants us to be depressed and have fear, trust that the King of Israel, the Lord, is with his people. Have boldness, have confidence in that reality. So in verse 14 and 15, we see the praiseworthy King In verse 15 and 16, we see the present king. In verse 17, we see the peace-giving king. The peace-giving king. Let's read verse 17 together. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So this true king, the Lord, promises to do three things for his people. First, what does he do? He will rejoice over you with gladness. He finds joy and is glad in his children. This is not a cold, passive contentment. 
This is not a view of a deist God who just winds up the universe, winds up and just lets his people fight and kill each other. No, the Lord is present. The Lord finds joy in his people. And if we're honest, our old nature would kind of want to puff ourselves up from that, right? Man, I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty great. Like, we, we naturally kind of want to puff ourselves up, but this verse should really humble us. Because who are we that the Lord should find joy in us? The Lord is complete. The Lord doesn't need us. The big $5 word is the aseity of God. The Lord is complete. The Lord does not need anything. Within the context of the Trinity, there is glory giving. There is a sweet communion within the Trinity. The Lord doesn't need us. He didn't get lonely one day and say, hey, I'm going to create humanity. No. He is complete. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to find value in us. And not only does he find value, he finds joy in his children. He delights in his children. So not only does he do that, but he will quiet you by his love. Think about this for a second. When you're truly at peace, when you're truly content, is your life marked with anger? Is your life marked with pettiness? Are you having a lot of road rage? Are you just laying on the horn? Come on, keep going, keep going. It's green. No. We don't lash out at people. Even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of all the junk going around, there's a calmness and a quietness in our hearts and souls and minds. And the Lord gives that through a peace that surpasses all understanding. So think about this. So I have a four and a half year old, Hudson, and I have a two year old named Harvey. Harvey James is all boy. He's ready. He's, he's a fighter man. But, by God's grace, he still naps. It's wonderful. It's good for him. It's good for me. It's just good for everybody in the Nelson household. He will nap in the afternoon. He'll take a two-hour nap, and it's wonderful. But, you know, sometimes, like normal families, we're out in the afternoon. We have stuff to do. We have to go grocery shopping. We have to do things. And so we miss that nap. Ooh. It's rough, man. The sweet kid who's all boy, man, he turns into this little gremlin. He's like, ah! Like he's just running everywhere. No, no, Harvey James, don't eat that. Don't do that, right? You guys know. If you have kids, you know. <laughs> kids just, just miss their nap. And so, you know, you try to parent wisely. You try to redirect. You try to be firm. You try to be loving. You try to do all these things. But eventually, you just got to hold your kid, right? You just kind of hold him. And he fights you a little bit. He's like, no, I don't want to nap. And then he just like melts. I'm not trying to be overly gushy or overly emotional, but here's the reality that God holds his covenantal people. He holds his people in his grip. And he and he alone can give a peace that surpasses understanding. Not contentment through things, not self-sufficiency. The Lord and him alone quiets us and gives us peace. So not only does he rejoice and is glad over his creation, not only does he quiet us with his love, he exults over us with loud singing. 
The Lord shows delight in his people by singing over them. Think about that for a second. The Lord sings. Why is singing important in the church? Because God himself does it. What does that sound like? I really don't know. How does that work? I don't know. But the Lord, the God who doesn't need anything, he is complete. He sings over his children. If the, if the God who doesn't need anything does that for his children, how much more should singing, should his people sing back to the Lord? And think about this. Singing is not just to get us going, right? It's not just to get the church excited. It's not just for the church to kind of get into the headspace to, uh, to hear a message, right? That's not what singing in the church is for. The church is, it's not to get us hyped up. Singing is a tool to praise the Lord, to say, you are worthy, you are holy, you are glorious. Lord, I want to praise you. I want every aspect of who I am to praise you. And so, Lord, I use this tool to glorify your holy name. So regardless of if it's a traditional hymn, regardless of it's a contemporary song, if it glorifies and magnifies the mighty name of Jesus, we'll use it here at this church. Because that's the tool of singing. That's the reason that we sing, so that we can magnify and glorify and make much of Jesus. So what do we do with all of this information? What What do we do with all of this? We live in the tension of the already, but not yet. What do, you, what do I mean by that? So, the nation of, of Judah, right? They are gathered together. Uh, they are hearing this judgment pronounced on them. They're hearing this prophecy. And they're, the majority of the nation is wicked. The majority of the nation is evil. The majority of the nation is turned against an almighty, holy God. But there was a faithful few who believed in the Lord, who trusted in the Lord, who believed in the one true God and worshipped him alone. And those faithful few, they were tested just like the rest of the nation. They they experienced the wrath just like the rest of the nation. They experienced this nation, the foreign powers coming through and just decimating the nation of Judah. They experienced that, but they didn't say, man. They said, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm experiencing this struggle. I don't know why I'm experiencing this pain. I I don't see, I, I understand to some degree, but I know that you're good, and I know that you're faithful, and I know that this hurts, I know this is bad, I know this is difficult, but Lord, I know that you are holy, and you're good, and you're holding me, and that I can have faith, and I can trust in you. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You are enough. Even though I don't understand it, even though I don't understand the pain, even though I don't understand the trial, Lord, you are still good. And may we be like this nation of Judah. Lord, I don't understand why my brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan are being mercilessly murdered. God, I don't understand why my brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea are being imprisoned 
I don't understand why my brothers and sisters in Christ in the Middle East are being beheaded. I don't understand the struggle. I don't understand the pain. I don't understand the suffering, the gratuitous suffering. But God, you are holy and you are still good. So God, may I trust in you. That you are working all things together for my good and your glory. And God, I don't understand the whole breadth of your sovereign plan, but you are in control. So may we as Christians live in the tension of the already but not yet. God has forgiven us. God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit as a down payment of things to come. He gives us hope. He gives us direction. He has spoken to us through his word. So we live in the already, but we hope in the not yet. We hope in the new heavens and the new earth. We hope in an unhindered fellowship with the Lord. So let us long for that and let us remember that we are not citizens specifically here forever. That our home is in heaven and that is our eternal rest. So how do we apply this? If you are far from Christ... You are deserving of the full wrath of God. What I mean by that, you deserve to spend an eternity in hell, and God is completely just in sending you there. In Romans 3, it says, There's none righteous, no, not one. In Romans 3.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Because you're a sinful person, you deserve the full wrath of God. And you can't earn your way out of it. You can't do enough good things to right the scales. We were hopeless. But Jesus saw our hopelessness, came to earth, fully God, fully man. Lived a sinless life, but was tempted in every way that we were, but without sin. And he died and rose. So if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So those who are far from Christ, which is where we all started, if we repent and confess Jesus as Lord, we will be saved. So Christian, if you're here this morning, number one, Live with an attitude of gratitude. We have been forgiven. We are free. So let us passionately worship. And not just on Sunday, but let us live a lifestyle of worship day in and day out. May we be a people that say, Lord, how can you receive the most glory in my life? Lord, I have two different paths in this job. How can you receive the most glory? Lord, I have a decision to make. How can I most glorify you? In this decision, in raising my kids, in buying a car, how can you be most glorified? How can I steward what you've given me well? May we live a lifestyle of praise and worship to our God. May we live in thanksgiving. Let us not fear. It is so easy for us to be afraid. When we leave here, we're kind of by ourselves, right? We're back into our normal culture. We're back in, in a culture that really demands that we fear the present. But let us be bold in our witness. Let us stand firm. 
Let us be quick to, to, to stand for truth. And that doesn't mean that we have to be a morality police, right? Let's stand for truth in our lives. Let's live differently. Let's display the fruits of the Spirit in our workplace. Let's display the fruits of the Spirit to our children. Let's be bold in our witness. And finally, let us hope in the already, but not yet. We have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And and though we face pain, and though we face suffering, and though we face all these different struggles, and though we face persecution and pressing down on all sides, we have a hope. We have a future. So let us rejoice in that reality. Let's delight in who God is and what he's done. I'm going to pray for us. And so if we need to process the word, I'll be here. I'll be available to pray. We're going to sing through the whole song. Uh, and so I'm, I, I can't just preach a sermon about, hey, we need to sing and then just sing 30 seconds of a song. We need to sing the whole song, man. So I'll be here to process. We'll sing through. We will praise Respond to how the Holy Spirit's leading. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that it is wise and it is good and we can base our life on it. And God, it is so easy for us to fear. It's so easy for us to make idols in our lives. It's so easy for us to practically live like you don't exist. So God, convict us of that. God, may we be a people who follow after you to believe that what, what you say is true. God, change us, conform us more into the image of your Son. Guide us this morning. And God, may we be a people emboldened for your mission. God, may we leave here changed, not by a dramatic presentation or good music, but God, by your truth. May you convict hearts and may you stir up in us affections and joy in you. Guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.